We are all connected. So join me as I talk to like-minded people about topics that are appropriate to the current times we are living in. My name is Lerato Shabalala and this is Relevant. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Relevant. I'm so super, super excited about today. Like, I, I can't tell you, like, um, this, this lady came back from holiday yesterday and we were like, please can we, please can we? Um, she is one of the most, I was laughing because a couple of hours ago, somebody said, what are you addicted to? <laughs> And she put up the Twitter first. And you can see she has... <laughs> Cindy, you have almost 300,000 followers on Twitter. Yeah. But you know, Loretta, so most of, most of my followers, I've said this before, are what I call silent Twitter. So the majority of them are on there because I share information about HIV. Uh, many of them are living with HIV. So they'll never interact with me on the timeline. But obviously in the DMs, they get an opportunity to ask me questions about their health and so on. And that's the real reason why I'm on Twitter. I think all the other stuff that you guys see on the timeline is just a bonus. But, the, but most of the work that I do on the timeline is in the DMs. Um, and that's what I am. I'm a patient activist. Um, I want people to, to, to know things about their health. I want people to make the most of their consultations with their doctors or nurses. Mm. I just want people to be happy and healthy. And, and this is the reason why I joined Twitter. Um, you know, to share health-related information. Um, and everything else you see is just me sharing other parts of myself. And I think it makes me a bit relatable. I think if, if I only tweeted medical stuff, then it would be difficult for you guys to trust me because people share things from their hearts. And you have to admit, I'm a stranger. If I've never met you as, as a person and you DM me something really deep and personal, you're taking a chance because you don't know what I'm going to do with that, right? But I think because I, I've shared so much of myself, and I share bits and pieces of my life, it makes people realize, oh, okay, she doesn't mean any harm. She really, honestly, genuinely wants to help. Yeah, and you do. And, and I have to say, you've been helping people for, for so long. I, mean, I have uh, people in my life who have both been infected and affected by HIV. And so I know really firsthand what those experiences are like. And I think you... Mm probably are one of the first people to open the door to saying, um, remove the stigma, let's talk openly about exactly. it. You also talk openly about sex. And you also talk exactly. openly about depression, all the things that are like the back room stuff that nobody wants yeah. to talk about. And ultimately yeah. those are the things that make us depressed, that make our minds not work. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm, I'm so happy to be talking to you uh, today. And I really wanted to talk to you because you are, an interesting human being. So one of the things I love about you is you say that you knew you wanted to be a doctor yeah. from the time you were four because you love people. You didn't say you yeah. want to be a doctor and so you love people. You said, I love mm -hmm. people. And I think the best way to express how I love people is to be a medical doctor. Um, and so we're going to talk about that too. But you also said your second love is radio and people can catch you on Kai FM from uh, Monday to Thursday, 7 to 8 p.m. And you get to now extend that love for people by... It's amazing. Isn't it? It's a gift. And then you have yeah. social media as well. But also where you come from is really interesting because your mother is um, from Wazulu Natal. And as we know, 
I've been saying this throughout this month that um, the uh, the people from uh, Zimbabwe are really closely related to us, not only because of Amandebeg and Zilgazi, just because we are all part of the Bantu people. So I really yeah. want us to also have that in mind. And then, uh, so you're born in Harare, and then you went and studied here. So I I want to know about what you were like as a as a as a young person, um, when you were growing up in Harare, what, what was Cindy like? Okay, so, um, so I was born in Harare, as you say, in 1976. So my mother had moved from um, um, KZN to the then Salisbury for better opportunities. Yeah. So her aunt had moved there and she had gotten married and had become a politician. And she was now, you know, coming back to get her relatives one by one to come for a better life because things were quite tough here. So that's how a lot of South Africans ended up in Zimbabwe um, because they were looking for a better life. So my mom got to Zimbabwe in 1974. Um, she met my dad. They fell pregnant. They got married. And then they got divorced after about four years. So my mom knew very early on, okay, you know what? This is not going to work. So when I was four, by the time I was four, my parents had divorced. So I have no recollection of growing up with my father. But my mom was an, an ever-present, you know, she was, just, she was everything to me because I was an only child. And the one thing about Zimbabwe that um, I need to say, and, and I say this because I experienced it, is that single parenting in Zim back then was a no-no. So if you, were, if you had fallen pregnant and had a child and, and now you were single, the guys were not interested in you. So my mom dated, but no one wanted to marry her. And their conditions for marrying her were simple. Send your child back to your mom in South Africa and then I'll marry you. But you can't live like that. And so my mom had a thing. She's, yeah, my mom would say, you see me, you see my child. My child is my handbag. Wherever, wherever I go, she goes. And that's really the reason why my mom ended up being single for the rest of her life. Um, Upbringing-wise, um, I had a very loving um, childhood. Um, mom, you, know, you know, if you're an only child, those of you that are only children will know this, that you grew up in a bubble of love. You have this parent or parents, if you have both parents, who everything they do is about you. Right. So that's how I grew up. And I think maybe this is why I have so much love to share because I just grew up in a, in a bubble of love. I can't, I can't explain it in any other way. I mean, my mom was so involved in every aspect of my life, even as an adult, even after I got married, she was very involved in my life. This is why her passing away really affected me. I mean, I never used to buy my own clothes. My mom would buy my own clothes, buy my clothes, buy my underwear, buy everything. And then she'd send me pictures. And then she sent me pictures of the, of the slip and say, Cindy, you owe me money. So all I had to do was EFT her, right? And then, and then some weekends, just go to Woodbank, <clears throat> pick up my stuff, and then come back. And so after she passed away, I remember getting into, into Donna Claire. And, and I, was, I was hysterical because I don't know what to buy. I, know I, I knew I needed clothes, but like, where do I start? So I, I'd point to the mannequin, and I'd say to the lady, the way that doll is dressed, I want that. You know, it took me a while. And then my cousins came on board and then they kind of shaped my fashion sense. And now, you know, I'm trying to be a bit of a fashionista, but it's all because of my kind. But, but the, first, the first year or two after my mom passed away was very challenging. So my mom, my mom was my everything, right? So she lived for me. Like, I, I can't explain it in any other way. And then she got her sister. Uh, first, she got my granny to move to Zimbabwe. Then um, her sister came along. So she, she, she was always helping people. So that whole thing of me helping people is something I learned from my mom. Uh, it's probably something that you, that you inherit from your parents. But my mother was always helping people, right? Mm -hmm. So even in Harare, her house was like a safe haven, especially for people in exile. And it's important for me to say this because 
I was able to go to a private girls school in Harare, one of the best schools in the country, because I got a bursary, part bursary, because of my academics. And then the Jewish Women's Benevolent Fund um, paid some of my fees. And the rest of my fees was paid by the ANC and the PAC. Oh. So those, because they, they said to my mom, you're always helping us. So how can we help you? And she said, well, I can't afford to pay my portion of the fees for my child. So if you guys can pay that, I'll be happy. And, and, and you know, the exiles um, used to get their fees paid for them. They had, they had houses they lived in in Zimbabwe. They got food, they got clothes. So I was able to get all of those things because of my mom's um, generosity and helping people in exile. So they paid my fees from form one to form six. They paid a portion of my fees. My dad paid his portion. And then the bursary and the Jewish Women's Association paid their portion. Otherwise, I'd never have had access to that kind of education because my mom, she couldn't afford it, right? I think what's so my childhood was, yeah. Sorry, Cindy, just to cut you a little bit there. Sorry, I wanted to say, I think what's interesting is what you say about the fact that people in South Africa were leaving South Africa to go to Zimbabwe because of better yes. And I want... And I, we will go back to the childhood, but I want that to sink in with people because this is how life is. It's cyclical, right? So one moment yes. South Africa is doing well, but you never ever stay there because Zimbabwe yes. at some point was more prosperous and now people wanted to be there. And I think that is something for us to really think about when you want to say foreigners and call people the wrong words. We have to remember how many people have us as South Africans, one of the last yes. nations on the continent to have real democracy. So it's something yeah. to think about, about being human, just be a human being. But it's, but it's just hard, it's just hard, Lerato, because even though, um, as I said, the exiles were in Zimbabwe, it wasn't all rosy, mm. right? It wasn't all rosy because it's not, like, it's not like the Zimbabweans were particularly happy, or certainly not in Harare, right? Mm. Were particularly happy to have all these South Africans in their country. Yes. And, and one of the things that I remember from my childhood is, is my mom and my aunt being asked, Uguti, like, when are you going back to your country? They got asked this quite a lot, right? So, so that's just to balance things out. Uguti, yes, there, there was help, but not all parts of, of Zimbabwe were welcoming to, to South Africa and, and people in exile. So it's, it's just, yeah, it's just, it's just one of those things. So that is my upbringing. So yeah, my granny was in South Africa, in, in Zimbabwe. My auntie was there. And then, of course, my mom belonged to um, a race, a tightly knit South African community. And this is why I can speak Isizulu, because my mom only ever spoke to me in Isizulu. She was determined to, to make sure that her little child in Harare, um, even though I was growing up in Harare, she wanted me to speak her language. And so she only ever spoke to me in Isizulu. She only started speaking to me in English when I got married. And, and only because when she spoke to me in front of my husband, he couldn't understand what she was saying. Yeah. So she then had to start switching to English. But most times, I don't recall my mom speaking, speaking, me to, speaking to me in English unless it was really, really serious or unless, um, you know, my husband was there. And that's how I learned Isizulu. So I always tell people who Isizulu is like from my mom. So that's hard. So for me, I think this is where I feel a bit guilty because I think I failed my kids in the sense that here was my, here was my mom in the middle of, this country that she knew little about, but she was she was determined to bring up her daughter speaking Isizulu. And here I am, and I haven't made much effort with my kids. And it bothers me, Lerato. It bothers me that I'm bringing up mixed race kids who don't have a, a single African language that they can speak. And it's something I that that's that I'm working on, and I have to change. I think it's important for my kids to be able to speak, and you know Shona and um, Isizulu. So. 
yeah, I'll be working on that. That's something I'm determined to do in the next two years to get that going. But, you know, it's quite interesting because a lot of people would then say uh, the Carmelos. I love the, the, the name, by the way. <laughs> that came from a Kulula air hostess, oh, a Kulula flight attendant. Yeah, she, she saw us. She, made, she saw us on the plane and she said, oh, my gosh, you two are top deck. And when you have children, you're going to have caramello bears. You know, there's a chocolate. There's a chocolate yes. caramello bear. So it's got it's got nothing to do with their color. It's more to do with this this joke that started on a plane. We were flying to Cape Town, and this woman was so excited to meet Top Deck. You know, she kept saying, "Oh my gosh, Top Deck, Top Deck!" <laughs> our Wi-Fi, our Wi-Fi name. We've called our Wi-Fi Top Deck because we've never forgotten that. <laughs> but it's just so beautiful as well that somebody yeah. could see you and your husband and just you know what I mean, have these wonderful thoughts because, and, and what I was going to is, so you can have the excuse of marrying somebody of another race, but we all know that it's not just uh, people who are married to people of other races who don't pass on the language. Sometimes you both can be the same race, the same nationality, even but not pass on the language. And I think that's where the sadness comes from. And, and you know, I am certainly am not exempt. Uh, my partner's uh, six-year-old uh, child could learn Isuzulu or Iskosa, but Cindy, we are, we are not doing a great job either. And We're not, and, and we need to do something about it. I think when I look at how much pride, um, you know, my husband and his family have in, in Afrikaans, I mean, they, they all speak Afrikaans, Lerato. Wow. And they speak, speak it, I mean, they speak English fluently as well. But I've yet to come across a family, um, you know, in my in my in-laws side and extended in-laws where the kids don't speak Afrikaans. They speak Afrikaans. So what are we getting wrong? Like, how can the Afrikaans know how to pass on their language? Do you think it's because we've had to assimilate, right? So they've, they've white people have grown up in an environment that has welcomed them. You don't have to mm. code switch, as they say. You don't have to, okay, so yes. you know, the care, you're code switching. Because I think, yes, we are responsible, but it's also very difficult when you do want your child to be fluent. And, mm. and, 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 and the thing is, you're right, you must do better. Because you look at French people, Italian people, Exactly. Yeah. So it's something I'm working on. It's something I think about a lot, especially now that they're growing older. Um, you know, I, I look, and they and they're very aware of of who they are in terms of you know not being black and not being white. So there's no there's no sugar coating about that in this household. So we are in an interracial marriage. We bring up mixed race children, and they understand exactly what that means. They they appreciate that, and we speak about these things openly. Um, I think um, the the one thing that makes me smile is when they 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 ask questions like, "So in the olden days, you know, in the olden days, <laughs> in the olden days, you know, your Papa and I wouldn't have been able to get married, and you guys wouldn't have been born." So they appreciate Nelson Mandela, Nelson Mandela. They understand what freedom meant and how they are alive. They exist because there are people that came before them that fought for this. For, you know, for interracial marriage to, to, to become legal, right? So they, they're very aware of that. Um, we spoke about Black Lives Matter. It came up because my kids are on TikTok. They're on Snapchat. Um, we've since taken TikTok away, but they're still on Snapchat. And Black Lives Matter came up. We had a whole discussion around that, about the wrong, you know, the wrongs and, and, and just both sides of the story. It was, it was interesting. And I think, 
you know, if, if people are going to be raising interracial kids or if you've adopted a child of another race, you, you can't personally, you can't go along the lines of, you, know, you can't look at color. I don't see color. You can't, you can't be like that because oh. color matters, right? I've, I've, I've witnessed, I've witnessed my kids getting preferential treatment based on their color, right? I've witnessed my husband getting preferential treatment based on his color. So they live in a world that, that leans towards that, right? And they need to understand it. They need to understand the privilege it comes with. And they also need to understand why it's not right for the world to be like that. But to, to bring up kids and say to them, I'm bringing up my kids neutral. They don't see color. No, I, I, I don't know. I don't know whether that's a cop out or I don't know what it is, but it, it just, you can't be like that, right? It's a total cop out because I think that we live in a world that has consistently since the 1400s said, if you are white, you are right. Mm-hmm. Right. And you know, Cindy, that just being with somebody of another race does not make you not black. <laughs> you know what I mean? You are still black. It doesn't matter what. And I, I remember a story that you told that um, when you were about to graduate um, to be a doctor. Oh, oh, that, story, oh that story is horrifying. The story of the doctor, of your uh, professor. The professor. The, the professor who could not accept that I, I, I was marrying a white man. I mean, you know, the power dynamics at, 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 at varsity. I don't think people quite understand what it's like to, to, to be a, a black female medical student, right? You, you, you already enter that, that, that whole space on the back foot because I'm not sure that the medical fraternity ever, ever thought that, that black females would become doctors, no. right? I know, that, I, know, I know that we have people that came before us, um, who, who, were, who were doctors, but there were a few. But the Afrikaans universities were just not ready for us, right? And yeah, um, and oh, professor, that professor, professor, the head of, he was the head of, he was the head of anesthesiology, calls me to his office, right? I go to his office because the professor wants to talk to me. Yeah, so and he calls me to something office. serious, like I, I failed something. Oh, really? But he told me on the first day of the rotation, Uguti, you are going to fail anesthesiology. Yeah, we haven't even said hello. What's going on? He told me on the first day, Guti, you are going to fail anesthesiology. Ngati, no, Prof, I'm not going to fail. What's Uzobona? You're going to fail. And whenever I came in, he called me Miss Zimbabwe. Miss Zimbabwe, Miss Zimbabwe. Calls me to his office, asks me, um, so um, he asks me um, about my husband. Is, is he Fancel? Yes, he's Fancel. Is he colored or is he white? What does it matter? But... But you can't answer because we are sad. So Ngapenjongati, he's white. Where is he from? Kempton Park. But, oh, okay, fine. You can leave. Ngaham. I failed anesthesiology. Of course, I failed it. And I had to go for the supplementary exam. I was sick. I told, I remember I, I emailed my dad. I told my mom. I told everyone who cared to listen that, listen, I've, I'm, in a, I'm in a spot of trouble. If I don't pass this exam, it's not because I don't know my work. It's because this man is determined to fail me. He's upset that I'm married to a white man and he cannot deal. And you know, God is so gracious. On the day of my oral exam, because the thing with medical school, right, is that when you go for the supplementary exam, it's an oral exam. And you know, Lerato, anything can happen in those oral exams. People don't fail. Black students don't fail because they don't know their work, right? Black students fail because maybe you get an examiner who doesn't like the way you speak. 
doesn't yeah. like your accent, doesn't like yeah. your tone, doesn't like your color. Like so much happens, but because there, there are no recordings, there were no recordings in our time. It's just you and three examiners. Anything can go down. And once you fill the supplementary exam, that's it. You're repeating, right? So sing and go exam. Right. So I sit down and um, he asks a question or two and I answer. And the secretary came to knock on the door. And his family, his kids had moved to the to the US. And the secretary said to him in Afrikaans, Prof, your son is on the line, it's something urgent. And he had to leave the exam. He left the exam, went to take the call, left me with the two, with the two um, external examiners. And those men who knew in their heart of hearts that I didn't qualify, I shouldn't have been them, looked at me and said to me, well, look, there's all these tables, there's all these bottles on the table. You choose whatever drug you want to talk about. And you know, you know with, with students, there's always that one subject that you've crammed, right? There's always that one, one, one topic that you've crammed off by heart. Yeah. So I looked at them and they're like, choose a bottle. So I chose a drug called halothane and I'd learned halothane off by heart. And I spoke about halothane. And then when he came back, we were done. So he sits down and he says, um, how did it go? And they told him in Afrikaans, I said, no, it went fine. She's passed. So he says, okay, I can leave. Before I got to the door, he called me back to the table. He had opened some physics textbook, Lerato pointed to some random equation and asked me to explain that equation. I didn't know what the equation was. I mean, I hadn't learned it. And then he said to me, I can leave the room. And I passed, I got 50% on the dot. But not because I deserved that 50%, but because his prejudice could not deal with the fact that this black girl had married a white Afrikaans guy. And so that's what, that's what hurts me about, about the system, is that your prejudice can, can change a person's life. When we started medical school, there were 50 blacks in the class because we were on a quota system in 2000 and the medical schools were being told you will take black students. So they'd taken 50 of us in a class of 120. On the day of oath taking, your last day in sixth year, we were 19. There were 19 of us, Lerato. The white students had made it, almost, almost all of them, but there were 19 black students on that stage that took the oath. And I know in my heart of hearts that it's not because they didn't know their work, it's because of this, this prejudice, this power that you can fail a student just because they're black. So we are still in the system. I think, I think um, it's getting a bit better. It's not, it's not completely better, it's getting better. But there's, there's a layer of elders that need to retire. And once that layer of elders has retired, and maybe the layer beneath them as well, yes. once those guys are out of the picture, medical school is going to rock, right? And medical school is going to be the bomb. I, I don't see why, why medical students can't learn things from YouTube. I don't see why they can't do things via Skype. Like there's so much of the culture, that the, the very patriarchy culture of medical school that's going to change once those two layers have retired. And I'm still young and I'm very patient, right? I will wait. Doesn't matter how long it takes, yeah. but once those guys have retired, I am in there. I am going to make sure that things change. It's not right for people to, to go through medical school like that. We, we lived, uh, it was harsh. I mean, it was I, harsh. It was harsh. That was a trip for me, uh, Dr. Cindy, is when you, you're, and this is why I'm so, you know, when I wrote The Way I See It, I wanted people to confront their stereotypes. And then I've decided that my life's work is to talk about how we are unconsciously biased because we take what our mothers taught us, all that bad uh, racism, 
and then you put it on somebody else. That same professor said to you, which is why I think you are so important. He said to you, are you going to keep your maiden name? You should keep your maiden name. Oh. Remember, you should keep your maiden name so you don't fool people. Somebody white doesn't get into the practice and be disappointed. I'm disappointed. Oh my. You black. Imagine. So, okay. So, so okay. So that's, so that's the first professor I've just spoken about is the anesthesiology professor. This professor you're speaking about was the head of surgery. Hi, so we have a, two people. We have, darling, it was a lot. They were traumatized. So we have, we have a wood round. The wood round finishes. And, um, and then um, he wants to chat to me on the balcony so that the ward had a balcony. So it's like a quick, ch- a quick chat. He wants to chat to me. He hears is coming up soon. I'm, I'm getting married. And have I made a decision about my surname? And I'm like, yes, I have. My mother-in-law has asked me to change my surname because she wants me to be a fine sale, like all her, her, like her other daughters-in-law. What's here now? He doesn't think it's a good idea. Because as you know, as you've just related, with the patients are going to come in, they're expecting to see a fansail, and they walk into the room and they, it's gonna be like disappointing for them to see a person that's not quite a fansail. <laughs> and, and, and and the decision for me was easy because do I do I I wanted to be so totally fansail, but because my mom in law had asked this thing of me, was I going to now do something? And have Umama Zala on my neck for the rest exactly. of my life. Exactly. Or was I going to change my surname and deal the drama on my own? So for me, Abu Mama Zala, I mean, I don't want Mama Zala drama, right? I don't want it at all. So I changed my surname. And has it been easy? It makes it makes for comical events. I mean, there's lots of things that happen, you know. And and it's 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 not always fun, but I think I, I'm I've got the personality to handle it and to just keep it moving when when things do come up about why oh are you Doctor Fansale? Where's the doctor? That kind of stuff. Wait, so have can... you really had that? Have you really had people? Oh yeah. And and and, and it's ha- and it's okay. I understand why they're surprised, but I think the hardest thing for me is when a patient comes in and sits down and says, "Oh my gosh, I thought you were white." Like you know, when you when you go to a doctor for the first time, it's like going on a blind date. Now you sit down, you're getting to know each other. So now if you start off the dates with that line, I'm not really sure how the rest of the date is meant to go because okay, so I'm not white. So now what? You know, what, what do we do next? Are we having ice cream? Is it straight to dessert and then we go home? What you know, how does the date unfold? So that was funny. People like, oh my gosh, I thought you were white. So I've asked my friends. I've asked my friends when you refer a patient to me. Can you ask the patient to either Google me or you tell them what I'm black? So at least when they come in, we're not wasting time me trying to explain why I'm not white and why my surname is Fancel. And 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 I don't want to. I don't really want to spend time. I don't want to spend time explaining those things. But yeah, I just what I find interesting, and 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 I want to uh, go to you and your husband because you know. <laughs> As, as, as black people, we very rarely go, oh, you're white, you know, out of surprise. But yeah. white people really feel that it's okay to say things like that. And then you have to say, no, my husband's white. And then they start having this thing of like, okay, is she better because he's married to somebody who's white? Did you have those moments when you were dating your husband, you know, when yeah. you guys, because he's in IT and uh, yeah. you um, studied med- medicine. How... Did you ever go, Ish, it's going to be uh, too much? <laughs> you know, so because I've got a bit of a feisty streak to me, um, 
the, the one thing we, we did early on is that when such situations come up, right, we address them as soon as they happen. So I'm not going to go home and, and let something slide because of Nyaksaba or whatever it is. It doesn't, didn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are, right? It doesn't matter whether you're in-law, extended family. I've made you at a wedding with, with, you know, with the fine sales, whatever it is. If you say something that's, 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 that's not cool, I will address it immediately oh, right we had we've had incidents where we've left an event because i wasn't happy with with the interaction and so he supports me in all of that because he understands why we have to nip things in the band right so it, it happens with black people it happens with white people we address it you explain to me what you mean I, I say my piece and then if i have to leave then i leave right so that's i'm really happy that he supports me in that and and, and, you, and you know i think our biggest concern was always our children I don't mind. I can fight for myself, Lerato. He can fight for himself if he has to. But my whole thing was always my kids. So what I like about people who are openly unhappy about me and Marina is that I know how to deal with you. I know how to handle myself around you. And I definitely don't want my kids around you. Right. Exactly. So the people who have been yeah, the people have been who have been openly racist towards us, we know who they are. They've made it crystal clear about who they are and why they are unhappy with us. And it makes it easier for us to know, what, oh, okay, remember that cousin? We're not going to that house. Remember that person? We're not going to that house. I mean, imagine, imagine inviting me, inviting Marinas to a wedding and saying to him that he can't bring me because your dad doesn't um, approve of interracial marriage, right? So that's the kind of stuff that happens, right? Because people think it's okay to, to say such stuff. If I'm invited to a wedding, I'm coming with my husband, Nishatile. If he's invited to a wedding, he's coming with his wife, Ushatile. So if, if one of us can't come, guess what? We're not coming to the wedding. And, and beyond that, you've shown us what we needed to know. We are going to make sure we stay away from, from you and your family and your racist dad and everything else. So I think that's what I really appreciate about, about the Afrikaans um, communities that, uh, you know, they call a spade a spade and it makes it easy for us because I certainly don't want my kids to be around people like that. I will not expose my children to rubbish like that. Not, no. not, no. If and I can avoid it, I won't. And have you, with, with the kids, um, and I love the fact that you call people out, right? Because I think that calling mm -hmm. people out does not mean you're, you're an angry black woman, okay? No, that, but people perceive it like that, right? That's what people think, and it's not true. It's not you true. need to protect your cubs. My kids are my cubs, right? And it's the same way Lani will protect her cubs. Nami Gay, I must protect my cubs. They don't need to be around you and your, and, your, and your ideologies and ideas about what black people are and what white people, white people are. No. no like, no. no, my cubs must be protected from you. And, and also, I believe that uh, silence is tested compliant. By being silent, by keeping the peace, you are actually agreeing with that person's behavior. So it's really important mm -hmm. to be like, I'm not on that bus. I don't want to be exposed. Because honestly, if you would just be like, no, thank you. Let's go home. Let's get some food. And, and I think that the thing in Kasulayo is that it mostly happens about when they've had a few glasses of wine. I promise you, there's like this... Like at the beginning, everyone's fine. We're at a party, we're waiting. Young Clinton Nines. Why people have had wine? Hey, bo. I've seen the two colors. And oh, they No, it's too. Yeah. But have you, um, with the kids, had to explain that not only a mom and dad to different races, and 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 different just means you're different. 
The way we yeah. think we are different. That's all it means, okay? We were made uh, beautifully and uniquely by God to be ourselves, and that's the most wonderful thing we can celebrate. But you also are two uh, different cultures. So yes. how have you, when sort of explaining their heritage to them, explained that as much as they're Africans, they also are Ndebele and Zulu. And, and I like the layering yes. of it, you know, the country layering. How did you broach that subject with them in terms of the heritage? Well, look, I think the conversation definitely starts at Krish because remember on Heritage Day, the Krish is one of the kids to dress up, you know? So it's just easy for me because I'm like, oh no, we're going to go Zulu. Like we're going to go Zulu, uh, beads and everything else. And that's really how the conversation started. So it's always easy to explain it. Okay, this is what um, Zulu people look like. I don't know much about the Shona culture, but I know a lot more about Zulu culture. Yes. And then Afrikaans culture does this. And I don't really think there's a national dress, so we'll just go with the Zulu national dress. But you guys come from two different cultures and this is what it means and you guys are a mixture. Um, I think I think um, you know what's what's a little bit harder to control is what happens at preschools and at schools. I remember my son came home the one day from his preschool, and he's like, "Mom, are you black?" But the way he asked it, th- there was a there was a certain alarm to his voice. Yeah. So I was like, oh, "Okay, okay, let us go to this preschool and let's go and hear what's going on." So I went to preschool, and I spoke to, to the to the principal. I said to her, I "My love son came. Home. I love you know my son came home." And he asked if I was black, but he asked it in a very alarmed way. And I said to her, he's in this crash of yours because there's a lot more mixed race kids, kids of his color. And this is why we chose your, 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 yes. your crash. So I'm trying to understand how someone would have pointed him out exactly. to point out to his mommy is black. What, what conversation was happening? And she was really uncomfortable. And I said, I said to her, I just need to know what was going on, you know? And he was only three. Right. And it turns out that her friend had come to visit and her friend just taking her friend around the around the preschool. And then she points at my son and says, Oh, that one's mommy is black. And in a in a in a preschool with a lot of other kids who are the same color as him or olive, there was no need for no. that. No. You know, so we gave it a month and we pulled him out and we put him somewhere else. Because I'm thinking to myself, why are you highlighting in Ganyam? They're all the same color. So why would you point out my one, Botin? What more did you say that you're not going to tell me? So we pulled him out. It was a lovely crash, lovely preschool. But um, we pulled him out because I, I didn't appreciate that conversation. Okay, have that conversation. But are you, why are you clebering in front of the, chil- the children that they, were, they can hear you say, that one's mommy is black. So, exactly. And also because yeah. children can be very mean. And children- oh, yeah mean because they see meanness at home and this is why adults have to check themselves right like about um when you're not feeling okay and people during lockdown i think you said uh it was just the day before your birthday this year you came up with like a a a message where you were kind of like your stuff is going to come out you know because you can't go anyway the racism not has it not come out everything that can unravel has unraveled i tell you the last five months has tested everyone i don't think any of us had any idea how and and this is and this is this is the reason why i feel a good team and mental health issues need to really come to the fore now more than ever before like i'm on the board of the Southern African Depression and Anxiety Group. And they posted a, a, an article where the Minister of Health says about just under 2,000 people 
have committed, have died by suicide since lockdown began, right? Because you're stuck at home, you can't run away from your issues. You face your issues head on. And I think I've spoken more about mental health in these last five months than I have since I started speaking about my mental health issues, which just goes to show that people are going through a really rough time and we need to be kinder to each other. Um, And the black community has had to really face the reality of mental health issues and realize it's, 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 you know, it's not easy for Sabilungu, whatever it is that people used to say, mm. it can affect all of us. doesn't matter what your background is. You can be affected by mental health issues. Yeah. And I think more than anything, most of us self-medicate and self-medication, everybody does not mean you take cocaine. Self-medication means you're at the club. You are, and you don't drink to have fun. You are drinking at water. You're drinking to be. Yeah, I've, and, I've, and I've done threads about that. I've, spe- I've spoken about my relationship with alcohol yep. and how when I'm really happy, I drink a lot. When I'm really sad, I drink a lot. Yep. And, 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 and because we don't, we don't uh, you know, so the, there's a funny thing about human beings, Lerato. So, so we, we, grade, we grade things, right? So maybe in your head, cocaine is like the ultimate once you've done cocaine you've exactly. crossed the line so as long as you haven't done cocaine it doesn't matter how many bottles of bubbly you drink in a night as long as you haven't done cocaine right and then maybe someone thinks cannabis is the ultimate line to be crossed you know so as long as i haven't smoked weed i'm fine but i can do everything else and it's not it's not it's not like that right the issue here is there is a problem and if you've identified the problem it needs to be addressed and and and, and i'm happy that we, we're having more and more of these mental health conversations because one of the myths around mental health is 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 the medication people have so many problems with mental health medication psychiatric drugs help i wouldn't be here today if i hadn't taken the medication for four and a half years i always say this to people the medication saved my life but if you don't want to take it right you can have all the therapy under the sun you can have all the all you can do all the meditation you can do everything under the sun but until so, until you've accepted it, okay, I'm Cindy, I have, I'm living with depression, and I need medication to help me get better. Until you reach that stage, nothing is going to help you. And there's different levels to depression or whatever mental issue you have. And the psychiatrist will tell you if you need medication or not. But in Kenya, it comes with that initial consultation. You Mina, psychiatrist, Angila. Oh, Mina, psychologist, Angila. Once you said that to me, what can I do? I, I can't... I can't do more because if I've assessed you and I feel good to you need a psychologist or psychiatrist, then you need to go and hear what they have to say. But there's a mental block around that. There's a mental block around getting admitted. There's a mental block around, around taking medication. And I hope people can work through that to get better. I wouldn't be here, Lerato. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for medication. No, I would I not. I mean, you were very open about how you were already on sort of feeling depressed and then your mother's yeah. passing like in 2013, kind of tipped you over. And what I want to say to people is that I took antidepressants when I realized I actually could not manage. You know, yeah. and I think this thing of like strong black woman, you're going to yeah, fight the real It's so unfair. Can I just call it what it is? It is bullshit. Because yeah. you are a human being. Your traumas, what happened to you when you are eight? Yeah. What happened to you in the schoolyard? Why people called you because you're dark? because you're exactly. overweight, because whatever the case may be, you're going to drag those things. And when you get to a point where you become an adult and you realize those things are ingrained in you, you have to face them. 
And I think for all of us, what I want to say to people is that for all of us, whether you're Dr. Cindy or whether you're me, no matter how we look, no matter how we love, please mm -hmm. understand we all have traumas. And if you are not mm -hmm. honest with yourself first and say, I am not okay. If not honest, okay. That's what I'm saying. And you are right, Dr. Cindy, whether it is, if you think, you know, crack is the worst, <laughs> right? right? The, the fact is, if you wake up in the morning and you do that thing and you don't do it to a point where you're just like, I've had enough of it, it's okay. If it's not, if you need it, you know, some people that thing is sex for them. If you need it, then you need to go. Some sleep. people it's shopping, some people it's yeah. eating. It, it manifests in different ways, different but way. it's a crutch and you need to sort it out. You need to sort it out because you will not get better unless it honestly that's this is what doctors do you have to come in to say what's wrong you can't say yeah dr cindy like i'm here but i feel okay but like i'm here because yeah. something's wrong but i'm you have to say what it is and there's nothing wrong with being depressed yeah. we both know that yeah. there's nothing that's wrong. amazing that is so true that is so true honestly, and take that medicine is. take the medicine speak to someone and sometimes I know we like, oh, so she shrink, you know. <laughs> did people do that? I didn't know people did that. I said, like, I'm shrink. And here's the thing black people, we will spend money on an expensive Louis Vuitton bag. No, please don't just my bags. No, I love my labels. I love my labels. But you are portion a part of your budget mm -hmm. to your self-care, to the things that you love, to the people that you love. So if a portion of your budget doesn't go to your mind, there's something wrong. If, if we're willing to spend money on it, you know, it is a nandy. And then when we say go to a shrink, it's like a waste of money. Then we don't value ourselves. Don't you think? Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I also think it's very hard for, for black women to, to, to invest in themselves because we're so used to, to helping, right? It's almost like we're socialized to, to be the helpers. You know, it's your job to help this person and do this and do that. We never really take time out for ourselves. And I think this is what led to my burnout is that I was just so busy being and trying and doing everything that it eventually caught up with me. And, and now I've learned to do self-care. I learned about self-care and therapy. I didn't know there was a thing called self-care. I was forced to start doing self-care, right? Exactly. I, I was forced to start taking a, a Wednesday half day and making sure that on that half day, I leave my laptop at work and I walk around malls or I drive around Joburg and I just do nothing. Yeah. It was the hardest thing to do. And how do, you, how do you do nothing? Like, how are you not on your laptop at midnight answering emails? But you know what? We mustn't do it. I, I tell people now, Wuti, you know, the same way that the other women in your office, the, the, the white women pack up their laptops at 4 p.m. and they leave, and they go home. Now we get more four. Pack up your laptop and leave and go home. Because staying in the office at 10 p.m. is not going to help you. Corporate will spit you out and tomorrow they will replace you. We need to just, if they leave at four, now we leave at four. If they if they submit to more five, now we submit to more five. But don't 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 overdo it. Don't 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 be a, a high achiever in a in a situation that's going to it doesn't at all. And the thing is, right, is that you... I'm not being discouraging. I'm just saying it doesn't help to be an overachiever in an environment that's going to trample all over you. That's what I'm trying to say. of your mental health. Here's the thing. Work as hard as you want. We know when you're black, 
when your doctor says you have to be five times as great as any other doctor because of your the color of your skin but the important thing is to know that you're still a human being that you cannot draw from an empty well that if you don't put anything into the atm that is your soul you you will draw nothing so in order to give you need to put into yourself and whatever the thing is for you for me it's getting my nails done that makes me feel amazing and every other two months going to the spa whatever it is for you but take your time because i've also i burnt out last year and i ended up in hospital for a week and i think like i had to have a serious conversation with myself about that so i think take this advice but i want to just before we wrap up i want to ask you there are a lot of people right now who um uh realizing that you know they want to change who they are and some people are maybe falling in love with people of other races some people are having to open up about certain things that they wouldn't have um what's your advice to somebody who is about to get into an unknown whether the unknown is oh i think i'm going to marry this guy who's african and i'm going to be a fanseo and so bona pambili you know oh my kids i'm going to have to explain to them that this is where they come from how do you, how do people leap the way you did because people see you and you seem brave but i'm sure something happened in you to allow yourself to just live yeah you know you just have to be honest with yourself and and wear blinkers i always say to people um you know when you look at a a, a race horse when the race horse bolts from that cage that they're in it's wearing blinkers it's not really it's not really concerned about what's happening on its right or on its left it's just concerned about reaching the finish line and this is really what we have to do in life um I think um, I'm just very fortunate in that I've had so many embarrassing or, or shameful incidents that that happened early on in life that really broke me. But when I look back now, they forced me to learn to be resilient and to stay focused on 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 what I want to achieve. Right. So we need to we need to reach that stage where you don't care what Udlerato says about you. You don't care what. Jane is about you you're focused on your life and what you want to do and you stay in your lane and you maintain your velocity not easy to do especially if you're younger i look back now at the things that embarrassed me when i was a child and i see the time man it was just nothing but i can say this cuz i'm 44 and i've survived it but if you're 19 and going through it it's not that easy but you need to stay focused on your goal whatever your goal is whatever your plan is whatever it is that you want to do just blinkers and you do what's good for you and you just shut out all the voices because people will always have something to say yeah. that is what i people will always have something to say if you do good bazokuluma if you do bad bazokuluma so what's the best thing to do stay in your lane and maintain your velocity amen amen i i i realize now that you know what tulips don't look at uh, roses and say but why am i not you know exactly say we absolutely need to do the same so my last question to you is what has lockdown taught you about yourself um what has covid oh. time uh told you about yourself it's it's it's, to, it's taught me a lot also that like yo uh, i yeah but what you what yeah i've had to learn good go through it the way you go through it so if you gain some lockdown weight sister go right you know <laughs> i can't worry about a pandemic and worry <laughs> wait i want one family at a time okay please <laughs> well you know what i mean i, I think I'll, i'll just say this um i think lockdown 
showed me that um, I really used to eat out a lot. And I spent <laughs> like, okay, eating out is expensive. I know. <laughs> so when I look at my bank balance and I look at how everything is like working out, I'm like, yo, 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 yo. That's really it. I mean, I, I've had time to look at my budget. I've had time to do spreadsheets and think about everything. And yeah, no, eating out is a lot. But That's what I've learned. You're not saying, okay, because both of us like eating out, but you're not saying you're going to stop. You're just saying you're going to. Oh, no, 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 no. Stopping is not an option, but I'm going to cut down. No, stopping is definitely not an option, but I'm definitely going to cut down because um, I've, I've managed to save and I've managed to do a few things, you know, because of lockdown. So, yeah. So I'm not stopping. I, I don't think I'll ever stop eating out, but I'm going to cut down. I'll only go out like twice a week. And, and not, the, not the way that I used to. <laughs> My bank balance was doing so well. It has been doing right? so well. Right. I went down for the first time last week. I went to like Bellagio and I was like, oh my God, I can spend money. And how was the social distancing? Because I went, I, went, I went to a Mezzapoli in Melrose. Oh, yeah. And how was it? It was weird, right? It's not the same. The masks and the, and the tables far apart from each other. It's lost. It's lost its vibe. I must admit. And also you're feeling nervous, you know, you're feeling nervous. Yes, you're worried. So I'm like, save more money. But I need to be better because the money I saved on uh, going out, I'm like, oh, I haven't bought myself shoes. (laughs) No, it's been been an eye-opener. It's been quite an eye-opener. But from a mental mental health point of view, it has been difficult for me. I think July was my hardest month. Um, so I, I struggled. Level five was very hard. June I was okayish. July I, I was very low, and now August was a bit better because the sun came out, and now I'm feeling much better. But July was definitely my hardest month, and I survived July by the grace of God because there were many times when I didn't think I was going to, I was going to get through it. It was just a hard, it was a hard, harsh month yeah. for most of us. Most yeah. of us, yeah, me too, me too. It was, it was hard. So for you and for me. I, I hope it's a great mental health. I cannot wait for your night to have bubbles when we can Darling, be- I, <laughs> I, can't wait. I can't wait till we do it together. She's at Cindy yeah. on Twitter and on Instagram. One of the best people our country has. She's a national treasure. She's uh, amazing. Thank you for honoring me for, for Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Cindy, you are amazing may uh, god bless you and protect you and your family and the next time we see this we're going to give each other a big bear hug <laughs> no masks proper hugging no social distancing i can't wait i can't wait thank you so much Lato. thank you very much dr cindy thank you bye